folks, welcome back to Dub Africa. This is Chris once again. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Chris White Africa. This is Chris coming to you live from central Pennsylvania. Yes, I am back to health here and wearing a rugby jersey again. And yes, this is the British and Irish Lions series. You've seen it before. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, special feature guest today, none other than Neil DeBeer, former member of the South African Defense Force, not the SANDEF, but the SADEF back in the day during the uh, National Party's regime, and then later an operative for Mkonto Isizwe, or MK, as many of us know it as, uh, a longtime businessman, uh, an owner of at least uh, eight or nine businesses that most of us in the public are aware of, and uh, now a person who's uh, left the African National Congress in late last year, after 32 years, and a bit of disappointment. Uh, with the, where the ANC was headed, and we could spend hours talking about that, so that's not the focus of today. Neil will only be with us for about 15 or 20 minutes, so we're going to focus on some important questions. Also with us, the vice president of this movement that Neil has started called the United Independent Movement, or UIM, and that is Fatima Abdul. She's right down there, so she'll be in the conversation, but joining us uh, once uh, Neil has to depart, he's en route to another location, part of a round-robin whirlwind tour that's going on in South Africa. Neil, good evening to you. Chris, great to see you. Great to see um, the passion of our emblem still there. And I hope you're rooting for the right one. If not, we'll have to send you some beef jerky or bulldog. Uh, but to you and your listeners, a great opportunity. And thank you very much. Well, it's a pleasure. And Fatima, let me say very quickly to you, hello to you before we, we don't want to forget you because we're going to be speaking to Neil for a while. Good evening. <laughs> Good evening, everyone. I watched last night and I actually love the vibe and all the interaction of the viewers. I'm looking forward to chatting. But Giving over to you guys now. Do you tell me night owls or when I spoke to uh, Mark Oppenheimer? Oh, night owls! Wow, that that's just shooting the breeze. You know, that's uh, chewing the fat. So if you enjoyed that, then excellent. Well, let me go ahead and get started here, uh, Neil. Very quickly, last year, famously, you left the African National Congress, an organization you've been affiliated with for about thirty-two years. Uh, famously left and uh, expressed a great deal of disappointment about where the party was headed. And now you've started this thing called the UIM. Uh, what motivates you to start UIM rather than just join some other organization, civic or political party? Because I actually left uh, December 2017. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. I, uh, I actually, uh, and, and here's the whole thing. I, when people say to me I left, I, I, I actually wasn't part of anything of the ANC. I was a member. Mm-hmm. I, at, I attend, I've never been a politician. I've never been in a council or in any seat in governance of the ANC in its senior level. So when I left the ANC, what I actually meant was I was terminating my membership. Gotcha. And that's all. Fair so enough. 2017, I was at a national conference as a member where Cyril Ramaphosa was being elected as president. Mm-hmm. And in the ANC tradition, they have the political side and then they've got what they call policy decisions. And the policy decisions they take as the ANC, because that becomes uh, part of the policies of the ANC. And if they win the election and become the government, that becomes the policies of the South African government. And already being in business for the past 21 years, I was sitting there as an ANC member because it's my party. Mm -hmm. And they made a decision on two policies which I vehemently, and I'm not the only one, disagreed with. And I got up and I said to them at that stage, comrades, you've got to understand one thing. If you are going to do land without compensation as a policy and the nationalization of the Reserve Bank, it's going to cause economic genocide. Yep. Sorry, forget about politics. Yep. Uh, and I looked at them 
And well, Chris, I was ignored. And they made it a policy. I walked out, never to return. And then last year, uh, a group of businessmen and a group of people that are quite in business and in high-powered leadership in society, and many of them, might I say, also in faith, got hold of me and said to me, Neil, what are you going to do about it? Because you're actually a person that's from the struggle. You're a person that's in the economy. You're an economist. You come from both backgrounds of European understanding, Western ideology, but fighting for Africa for such a long time. What are you going to do? And I got up and I went, well, cometh the man, cometh the idiocracy, cometh the hour. And that's it. I started a movement last year. I got up and I said, you know, we've got to now change trajectory because we're going, sorry, we're entering the abyss, Chris. And that was it. Started the movement and the United Independent Movement got born a year ago. And famously now, we are 26 days actually a registered national political party. And that's where we are contesting in this coming elections in the next seven weeks, Chris. Excellent. Well, you know, uh, we could spend, uh, as I said, days uh, abusing the ANC and they deserve the scorn that they'll get. Sure. They've betrayed the liberation sure. struggle so many ways. But but very quickly, just uh, just to make a point here, as I try to tell people all the time, people who I think are not particularly well informed, they look around, and they say ANC, uh, oh, black folks will always vote for the ANC. Well, the ANC is more than just black folks. I mean, <laughs> the fact that you were part of the ANC, it's a coalition of a lot of people, sure. a lot of famous white faces, Barbara Hogan, Joe Slovo, yourself, many, many others sure. who are affiliated with the ANC. I think that's something we need to dispel right now is when people think that only black folks vote for ANC, they're very much mistaken. Well, it was me at a conference in Europe and I was speaking on behalf of the African Union, Chris, and everybody got introduced. India got introduced, Russia got introduced, um, Europe got introduced, and then I got introduced and the guy said, but you're white. How can you speak on behalf of Africa? <laughs> you're, you're an African. They're white, they white, <laughs> white people in Africa, dude. <laughs> so I think, yes, you're right. Ronnie Caswell's, Joe Slovo, yeah. Ruth first, um, Barbara, we we didn't fight because of color. Right. Chris. We fought because of dignity, my man. Yeah. We decided that racism does not suit us. Racism does not work in a country where the majority population are not your race. So yeah. I didn't fight for black. I fought for dignity. Well, I'll, I'll now we gave them that. I'll accept that, but I, I will say that it is ironic that much of what the ANC has been doing has been race-based policies, which have hurt all South oh, Africans. Sure. That's the irony of it, and that's that's where I talk yeah. about betrayal of the liberation. But uh, let me go, move on to some uh, topics we cover very quickly before we lose you here. Now, a, a topic I've been talking about for many, many years when I was in intelligence in the U.S. intelligence services, which I couldn't share publicly, and then since I've become a public figure, I've talked endlessly and written about and reported on rural violence in South Africa, the vulnerability of rural South Africans, talking about the murder of farm workers, farm managers and farmers, plus more. The media loves to spectacularize this and turn it into a white genocide and white farmers being murdered. But we saw a four-month pregnant Indian woman on the, uh, on the um, on, excuse me, on, losing the track of the name of the farm, but the farm there in KZN last year, whose throat was slit, uh, taken to the bathroom, her four and six-year-old oh. child left. And we've seen uh, a black cattle farmer, successful commercial cattle farmer in the free state, who was robbed and shot in the head, spent four months in a coma, recovered, only to die of his wounds later on. This is not simply an attack on white South Africans, although this certainly affects white South Africans rural areas a lot. And I think that's how this argument's got distorted. But I think both of us are very concerned and passionate about the safety and security of rural South Africans. Is that a topic still near and dear to your heart? All lives matter. All right. Well, there you go. There you go. All Great. lives matter. Well, yes, not well said. Black lives matter. 
not white lives matter, but all lives matter, every life. And a loss of life is a loss of a human being. And that's why I said my campaign is a fight of crime. And it is a fierce fight that I'm fighting because, Chris, when we start picking who's man, who's woman, who's black and who's white and who deserves to die, we've lost humanity, Mom. So all lives matter to Neil Beer. If it's a far murder, if it is like last night, the shooting of a 12-year-old kid in a, in a gang-infested area that happens not to be white, are we saying that it's a lesser murder? Are we saying that that murder should be discounted. No. So we've got to get to this thing. And I've declared, I've declared it. I've told our minister of um, police, which I must tell you, needs to go. And if I become president, he would be list number one. So Mr. Becky Stuki Tafukitele, I have told him directly, this country, and I'll say it, is currently facing domestic war, Chris. Yep. And I'll clarify that. I'll clarify it and I'll tell you, you being an ex-military man, me being an extra, the minute that in the participation of a crime, weapons of war are used, Chris, de facto it's domestic terrorism. Finish. If you can use an AK-47 or an R-5 automatic rifle, you have just escalated the form of crime. Citizens cannot protect themselves against weapons of war, and that is my declaration. We are at a state of domestic war. That's it, Chris. Well, absolutely. And as I've called, uh, I've called Beckettili himself the gangster in chief for his lack of uh, uh, desire and interest in solving South Africa's cash and transit heist in its rural violence, in gender-based violence, domestic violence. He seems to be completely absent at the wheel. But he does rock up on the 20th of October at Senegal, sitting in the courtroom sure. with uh, Julius Malia. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, let sure. me move. But I call him Fricky. <laughs> I call Julius Fricky. Fricky Malema. There you that's go. Him. There you go. We can spend hours <laughs> talking about him, but that's another conversation. Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so what are the two topics you just talked about that really concerned you regarding where the direction the ANC was going was this expropriation without compensation. Uh, one of the things I mentioned about this, and I've said it ever since beginning, trying to alert people to it, it's not simply about land because a lot of people would be agnostic and go, oh, I don't own any farmland, so what do I care? No, 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 no. It's a lot more than uh, food no. security. It's a lot more than protection of property rights. This is a political tool that can and will be used to silence political opponents. Would you agree or disagree with that? Or what are your thoughts on EWC? We are, we are drinking the same Kool-Aid. Plain and cool. simply, plain and simply, in modern day era of the economy in the world, Chris, it's not about owning land. It's about what you do with it. Sorry. Human beings are increasing capacity over 7 to 8 billion people in the next 10 years. Food security, optimal space and the usage to make sure that we've got a level playing field is more important than just going and dishing out land and saying to people well now you've got land do we really think that a guy that currently is going to pee and take a piece of land that doesn't have a penny on him or her is currently going to be said is free I'm, I'm objecting against that what we should be doing is going in and saying Here's a piece of agri-land. The government and people that farmed before. That's the crux. Maybe policemen should be policemen. I don't know. Maybe farmers should be farmers. And here's the opportunity that the ANC, with respect, has missed. 
in land without compensation is creating a unity state. In other words, going to the majority, yes, sure, ex-white majority, minority, and saying, take hands, because SIPO wants to farm. And he doesn't just want to be a farmer that's of substance. He wants to be a commercial farmer, Chris. Mm -hmm. And the people that are currently, face it, the majority commercial farmers are white in our country. Not all of them, I'll say it, not all of them do not want to get on with it. That is also rubbish. We want to unite, and the way to do it is definitely not the way the ANC is going. Or even thinking the EFF has got a twindling of understanding that we are a democratic, capitalistic, united republic. And they are fighting. Chris, we are more racial today, divided. Oh. Than pre ninety four. Absolutely, I'll tell you that right now. Absolutely, and There's, I'm sorry to say that. No, no, it's really sad. It's it's true betrayal of the liberation movement. The country seems to be more racialized, and it's being done by its leaders and the people in charge of the country. It's really, really sad. Uh, but uh, you know, the, the ANC wants to put a million black South Africans on farms when the rest of the world is reducing the farming population. It's just utter nonsense. And ironically, work, as you sort of alluded to, um, and I assume that's where you're going with it, several dozen that I'm aware of, at least commercial white farmers, have gone out of their way to help aspiring black commercial farmers, while the government has provided nothing in the way of, of, of adjunct services, uh, of extension services, of credit, of, of training, any of that stuff, none of the resources. The little bit of land they actually transfer to people, they pretty much go here. You're on your own most of well, the time. Well, well, can I add, Chris? Yes, please. <clears throat> When I did a speech in, excuse me, in, in a informal settlement the other day, mm -hmm. our, our old townships, you know, we've become so damn politically correct in everything that we are saying. And the hell with that, by the way. I'm not going to be politically correct. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say it as it is because we have become so used to lies. This country needs more truth. It doesn't need more lies. So I'm saying it as it is. I'm, I'm exceptionally upset. To the fact that we've got this thinking that the country's population can't think for themselves. Yeah. They can think for themselves. And if we think that the ANC is the be and end all of governance of this country, we've come to the end. Nelson Mandela died twice, sir. He died physically and then he died in the ANC. That's it. Looks like you've arrived at your destination. Let me just try to milk at least one more answer out of you before we for you. Sure. Okay. All Any right. So, all right. So, uh, well, two real quick. Uh, you can answer this very quickly. Cape Independence. Is this uh, a pipe dream or is it something that people in the Cape actually are interested in? Because I know that you get all over the Western Cape. I, found, I find no problem with an entity, a grouping, an organization or a nation that wants to govern themselves. I have a problem with the dissolving of a possible republic, should that happen. Now, I am a proponent, I'll tell you that now, and it's not a secret, I am a proponent of a federal government system. All right. A federal government system in this country, like you have in the US, which might not be perfect. <laughs> Definitely not perfect. But it, but, but not perfect. <laughs> but, but it works, but it works. When you, when, when you, when you go to Texas, what you're going to get in Texas, bro. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You know, you, so, so, so when you go to the South, you know what you, if there's a dry state, you know there's no alcohol. Yeah. So our country, if you know this province is Cape, the majority citizens are Capetonian, in KwaZulu-Natal, they are Zulus, 
And in Tronsky, we've got a majority Khoza population. What's so difficult? Go back to nations in nations. Mm -hmm. So I think Cape independence has got a good a system of thought. But sadly, it is my humble opinion that in my lifetime, well, it's political lifetime of the next five to ten years, I don't think it's going to be realistically possible, Chris. All right. Excellent response. Thank you so much. Nifet. Last question. This is the most important of our conversation. Thus Absolutely. Far, and that is now you're a registered political party. Were you able to get candidates registered for wards and or proportional representation anywhere in the country? Do you have anyone that will be standing as a UIM candidate in the municipal elections? Yes, sir. Oh, well, congratulations. Yes, sir. Congratulations. You did better I, than the ANC. I, <laughs> I, I am running this thing like a military operation, Chris. All righty. I'm running this and I am very happy to announce that the UIM, and this is a miracle of God, this is a miracle. We are putting in more than 240 national candidates in 13 municipalities on the 27th of October. Wow. Now, is that, is that, I mean, is it a widespread or is it concentrated in the Western Cape? No, sir. We are contesting Cape Town, Port Elizabeth, Durban, Bloemfontein, Pretoria, Joburg, and Ekurhuleni. Eight metros. Now, I've got to correct you there, Neil. It's not Port Elizabeth. It's... <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. And I'm right here. I'm about to address my citizens of Kabecha. <laughs> well, I, you do speak Kosa, correct? Not bad. Well, yeah. You didn't do badly there, I must tell you. Well, here's the funny thing. Uh, Kabecha not a Kosa word. It's not. What is it? What's the origin of it? No, sir. It's Khoisan. It's, it is Khoisan. Oh. There is no word in the Kosa language. Which outcome? Okay. Well, I had no idea. That's interesting for me to hear that. Yeah. Fantastic. Listen, yeah. Neil, um, you've yeah. obviously arrived at destination. We had a long uh, going on about a year of trying to sync up and link. Uh, you are welcome back on the program uh, to talk more to. depth. Let's let's get something set up sometime soon. You've got a lot of work to do before the to. 27, 28, 29, 30 October, 31 October, 1 November, whatever day the election is going to be. Exactly. All right. Well, thank you so much. I'd love to come back and uh, I'd love to come back and maybe one day I'll be blessed to shake your hand. But I'm going to leave you in the mighty great hands of my very, very great vice president. Abdul. And uh, God bless. Thank you. All right, Neil. Good luck tonight. Thank you very much. There you go, folks. Thank you very much. That's Neil DeBeer in uh, Port Elizabeth. (laughs) All right. So, Fatima, how are you this evening? I am fantastic. Thank you. Chris and yourself? Uh, I'm fine. Thanks for your patience hanging on there. I really appreciate it. Ronaldo Jose is here. He said, um, um, oh, Ronaldo's being a smarty. Okay, so I'll just leave that at that. So, <laughs> but uh, I, I'm well. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have you on. You and I have um, kind of been in touch tangentially for a long time and not really chatted yeah. much, but uh, you keep me informed on a lot of things going on in South Africa. Those topics we're not going to talk about tonight, but tonight we're going to talk about the UIM. So uh, how did you get involved with the UIM? What's what's that all about? I mean, what, what drew you to it? It happened so, so organically. For, I, I hope nobody's asking are we Illuminati? Just before I came on, someone actually sent me a voice note to ask, are you and Neil part of the Illuminati? I'm like, what? The Illuminati? That's an interesting one. I hadn't heard that before. <laughs> I feel myself a blood-washed children of God. We believe in Jesus Christ, and and we believe in the 
the uh, birth of Christ and the return, etc., etc. So we are not Illuminati. Let me just put that out of the way. Well, that's in so, its, that that in itself is interesting. We should start right with that. I mean, your name is is uh, straight from the Arabic world, from Islam, Fatima Abdul, and you're a Christian. But I mean, I think that, and you can you can respond to this. But I suspect that that really reflects the nature of the mixing of folks in the Cape and 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 how communities grew grew about. What I didn't get to ask Neil was whether he speaks cops or not. But anyway, so I mean, is that is that a yeah. situation? He does. He does. Okay. So I, I don't. I can understand Afrikaans, but cops, I get a bit lost. But uh, so, so yourself, you're from the Western Cape. Is that a fair guess? Nope. Uh, you're from I, KZN? I was born in the Northern Cape in a place called Tahung, which is right next to Freiburg. Okay. At the age of seven, my mom and I moved to Pretoria, where I am living now. And this is where I've always been. I did live in Johannesburg for a few years because I was on a, a South African soapy called Binnenlanders for a while. So I'm back. You, 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 wait, 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 wait. You were on Binnenlanders? Yeah, I'm an actress. I'm actually an actress. I didn't know that. I mean, I when I first saw your photos, it looked familiar, but you had very different hair. Uh, and so I was like, she looks vaguely familiar. I didn't realize you were on Binnenlanders. Whoa, okay. Now we're going to have to get you back on just all about, uh, about performing arts. But anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm an actress, um, and I was on Bitterlanders for about five years, from 20, to 2005 till 2009-ish, I think. Um, Neil is also an actor, so by the way, Neil is an actor. He, he, he acted in a few things. There's a lot of similarities between Neil and myself. Mm -hmm. We decided that I'm his uh, colored woman uh, other part, and he's my white male other part. We are twins. Okay, that's interesting. By the way, there's a lot of folks who are, are fans and supporters who've rocked up on the program tonight. Someone called True Patriot said, hey, my VP, and a few other people here uh, calling out to you and saying hello. So you've got some fans here. I, I have to tell you this, uh, too, Fatima, is that... Uh, is that uh, with my guest of late, I've had good audiences, but but this is clearly an audience where you guys have managed to bring some of your supporters into my program. So thank you very much for that because it may expose them to who I am in my program. So I do appreciate that because I see some new faces here. Pleasure. So what happened was I I went online just like very organically last sometime last year or so. I was very irritated by by Julius Malema. <laughs> no, no, no. Come on. <laughs> I did some live stuff, but this was more entertaining. You know, I had a caricature character called Auntie Mina that addressed certain things live and so on. But then this specific day, I was addressing this irritation called Julius Malema. I just stopped at a shopping center and I just had to let go because I was bursting in my mind. And... I literally said, you know, if I can find Julius Malema, I have to find him in a in a very dark corner, and I want to just do something. But then I want to run away because he mustn't see me. <laughs> that video went viral within a week or so. It went into hundreds and thousands. I think it's got about two million views now. And I couldn't understand why, what's happening. But anyway, I continued to do. To just vent. I was just venting, basically. But then I re uh, realized that people are watching because they feel the same. I am speaking what they are feeling and not necessarily want to say in public. So one day, I watched Neil the Beer a few months ago. I watched Neil the Beer and I'm thinking, 
Who is this white guy sounding like Eugene Terblanche? <laughs> and I thought, but okay, the difference is he speaks more sense. And I like what he says, but he's got a very huge presence and command over the, uh, uh, you know, when he speaks and so on. And I continued watching him, not knowing that he was actually also watching me, but someone told him to watch me because this person said, you have to watch this woman. She sounds like you, but she comes from another angle. And he watched me. And on that specific day, I literally said to the people, please, if you do, do yourself a favor. If you want to vote, do not vote ANC. Do not vote EFF. You, you are welcome to choose between the ACDP. So I was at the ACDP then, the African Christian, Christian Democratic Party. Party yep. I wasn't because the UIM wasn't a party and, and I wasn't really aware of them so, that much at that moment until I saw Neil. So I said, guys, you can choose between the ACDP, the PA, which is the new uh, party, yeah, but run by Gator McKenzie. And then I said, there's a new kid on the block, the UIM. Mm -hmm. So who watched that, called me up to say, thank you so much for mentioning the UIM invited me to his uh, talk here somewhere in Pretoria. Fast forward a few months later, I was getting uncomfortable in the ACDP because of, we're not politicians. Neil and myself are not politicians. We are just willing people that wants to make a difference in our community because huh, somebody's got to do it. So by the time he called me, to join the UIM and not just, he didn't actually ask me to join the UIM. He asked me to be the vice president of the UIM. Mm -hmm. And by then I was already done with the party that I was in. I asked, you know, we said, give me a few days. Let me think, let me pray, let me fast. Let me just make a hundred percent sure. But as time went by, I, I knew this is the right place to be. And I said, yes. And the rest, as they say, is history. We fit like a glove and hand because we understand what our mission is. And the most important thing for us is that we are so 100% sure that we have to do what God wants us to do. Because it is politics, but we are also servants in the political sphere. Well, there's a couple things you mentioned there. So first off, number one, Word of caution, you, you aren't politicians, but you're becoming politicians. Uh, that's just the nature of it. I mean, ask Donald Trump. He wasn't a politician and suddenly became one. So so uh, that's the hazard of stepping into the public ring. But someone has to do it. Otherwise, these permanent political, political class just hang around and lord over us forever. Now, um, there's a question in here from uh, one of your uh, constituents, I believe, asking us to ask you about um, UIM's firearms policy. Do you have a, a position on, on firearms in South Africa? We actually, uh, I'm going to share the link on our whole manifesto is available now. People can go and check it out. And so I'll actually send you the link to it as well. We are firm believers in people keeping their firearms for them to defend themselves from any harm because we are living in a country where crime is the order of the day and we believe that our people should be able to defend themselves. So we are absolutely against what is happening right now with Becky Grootbeek-Tele. 
Well, you know, there's um, there's uh, some pretty good footage of watching Neil go into communities where he's speaking Kosa. Uh, do you guys have a natural constituency? Is there any any particular group of South Africans that have seemed to have gravitated towards UIM, or are you getting support from across the board? We are actually getting support from across the board. The more I'm getting to know all the committees and executives and so on, we're a real a, a nice mixed cluster. Um, of the four, the four groupings, um, black, white, Indian, and colored. Obviously, in Cape Town, there will be more colored and white. Um, but there's a lot of black support as well. In KZN, it, it's Indian and, and black, mm -hmm. and a lot of white support as well. So, yeah, we're quite mixed. I Very representative of demographics. Now, I need to do a little housekeeping very quick. A couple super chats. Patrick Vukafenik gave a, uh, a, a thumbs up, uh, joined the conversation. And then we just got another super chat that came in from Roy Hayes, who's here in the U.S., says, uh, what? <laughs> why? Because we're the Griswolds. That's why, Chevy Chase. He's just having a little bit of fun <laughs> answering questions to somebody in the chat. Thank you for the super chat there, Roy. Uh, <laughs> but back to back to the topic at hand here. Now, I read recently that, uh, at least the way in an interview that Neil described himself, basically what I inferred from it is that he's a born-again Christian recently, uh, which seems to match with what you're talking about, this uh, this uh, belief in faith and family. But uh, I, now, I presume, and please look, correct me if I'm wrong, but but this this interest in faith is something that's not reserved just for Christians, but also for Jews and Muslims. Those are traditional beliefs as well. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think I finished my story. But oh, I was I'm sorry. Born... I'm sorry. Please do. <laughs> I am born from a Muslim father and a Christian mother. Uh, they met in the Northern Cape, but um, they actually separated before I was even born because of their faith. Um, he, he's family didn't want him to be with this Christian woman. And so they separated and I was born uh, from a single mother who brought me up as a Catholic. Uh, but I went on my own journey and, and wanted more. I wanted more than church and more than religion. I wanted God. And my relationship, my personal relationship with God started in my room where I actually asked him, does he even exist? Because I'm so done with church and, and stuff like that. And I had an experience with God himself presenting himself by with just the warmness. And, and it sounds very silly when I say it for some people, but I experienced the light and I experienced the love of God. And that is why I always say to people, no one led me to God. God himself led me to him. But answering your question, yes, we are a mixed uh, interracial group. We've got Muslims, we've got Hindus, we've got Christians as part of our party because we are a political party. We're not a church and we have to be open for everybody, except I always say it, we don't do um, Satanists because it goes completely against what we believe as Christians. Well, and, and Muslims and Jews as well. It goes against what they believe as well. So that's a fair point. No, I just I thought it was important to ask that question because I did read uh, a few comments about Neil becoming a born-again Christian. Also, like you, which your comment there, which you said, Fatima, is that um, 
you know, people ask me frequently about my religious belief, whether I have them or not. And what I tell people is it's a deeply personal um, question because uh, I, I'm not a person who strongly believes in organized faith from a standpoint that one must go to church to be a good Christian or go to mosque to be a good Muslim. Um, a relationship, in my view, not to get too deep in religion, but it sounds like it's very much akin to yours. Relationship with, with a deity is a very personal experience, and you can worship your God um, in private on your own and have a relationship with God. It doesn't mean you have to go to church on Sunday or to synagogue on Saturday or to mosque on Friday. Those are opportunities for communities to worship together. Uh, and that's a choice. But a relationship with, with your God is an individual one. D does that sound kind of what your thoughts on? 100%. 100%. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's, I think that's an important distinction because people always get, especially, you know, atheists and agnostics, they get wrapped around the axle about, well, I'm not going to church. It's just a, just a way to get money for me or this, that, and the other. And you're missing the point entirely. That's a community coming together. It has nothing to do with your relationship with God specifically. Anyway, but I don't, I don't want to spend a lot of time. And I just thought I'd share that with you. So you're an actress. Um, any chance you ever work with Steve Hofmeyer? No, no, I didn't. I, I worked with, People like the late Charlene Surti Richards, Chow ah. um, Bortis, uh, Hans Stradom, um, you know, the, when especially when I was on on Benelander, Charlene I met on another set. Yeah, I've I've, I've played with Patrick Maynard. Um, have you have uh, you been have you been in any 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 motion pictures in South Africa? Any movies produced there? No, no, I ah, I was mostly television. television. That also happened very organically. You know, most of the things that happens in my life, it's just I get nudged into that direction. I knew that I could act in grade four when my teacher told me that I can act. But, you know, it was just something that I did in school concerta. I was just part of the cast, even in high school days. And then, so my teacher, you know, affirmed me and said, my kid is by talent for my child. You're very talented. You need to be an actress one day. Very important that teachers speak into children's life because it, it stays here. So yeah, I, I got married and and I got divorced. And when I got divorced, I okay before that I used to do community theater, um, touring from place to place, doing um, the set books like Macbeth and and King Lear and those books, performing it for the high school children and and doing workshops with them. So my acting was there the whole time. Only after the post-divorce, I con contacted a, an agent and said, listen, I, I you know, I want to act. But it was never, I never aspired to act until I dropped or did on the stage. I did radio work as well. I'm a radio presenter. I used to be a presenter on, on, on a radio station called Radio Pulpit, a Christian radio station. And I did some stuff for Eris here as well. So my acting was just something that, that just happened on the day that I was supposed to call my agent to say, listen, I'm good. You don't have to call me for, for roles anymore because I had, by then I had done scandal and song for Katra and it's mostly African stuff. So by the way, um, and, and now recently in December, I was on scandal. I played a very strict auntie, but it's something <laughs> that if it's not there. I'm not going to pursue it. You understand? It's just something that I know that I can do. But right now, I enjoy myself more producing. So currently, I'm actually busy with a, a production called My Heritage, <laughs> Our Heritage, where I have normal people, artists, storytellers, 
that's going to tell their stories, their heritage stories, because I think the one thing that Neil and I have discussed that is that as South Africans, we never really created opportunities to sit around a table and talk talk to each other um, and, and, and sharing about our different backgrounds. And so we have perceptions of one another and sometimes, most of the times, it's wrong perceptions. So this production is it's very minimal. It's going to be a two-hour production that we pre-record. And then on the 24th of um, September, we're going to broadcast it on a, 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 a online platform. So people will be telling their stories, doing poetry, spoken word, do their traditional dances. Mm -hmm. There's going to be a few people that does the cuckoo language. Trebeja. Mm -hmm. Those, that, which, yeah. Uh, so all of that. So that's where I, that's my passion. It, it, it's feeding my the two the two sides of Fatima, the politics and the the, the art. That's awesome. Hey, folks, you're listening to Chris White Africa here on the Adaba Africa channel on uh, Monday, the 6th of September, 2021. My special feature guests today is are from, uh, guests are from the UIM, the United Independent Movement, uh, founded by Neil DeBeer, who was with us for the first 20 minutes or so of the program. He had a speaking engagement in Khbena, uh, or Port Elizabeth, if you prefer, and um, actually rode in the van. We rode along with him. Uh, he was here for the first 20 minutes or so. Now, uh, continuing on the conversation with me is the vice president of the UIM, and it's Fatima Abdul, uh, actress and performer. Now, let me ask you this question because I, I've done uh, some acting. Um, I actually have appeared and I've got a few Hollywood credits, <laughs> a couple I didn't even realize till later, but uh, I'm not actually an actor as such. But but uh, I've also acted in foreign languages and uh, I used to perform in German. That's my second language. So my question to you, Fatima, is that uh, obviously, as you said, the programs you've done in television, mostly Afrikaans, but I'm sure that you've had to do English at times when you're acting. If that's the case, is that a weird situation for you? For me, when I was first started acting in German, I wasn't fluent in German at the time. I was proficient, but not fluent. And so I sometimes got a little bit lost because I'd be asked to use a verb that I wasn't familiar with and I use it incorrectly. I'd act in the wrong way. They're like, whoa, 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 wait a second. What are you doing? That's not what that word means. It's like, oh, sorry. Uh, did you ever come across a moment like that uh, speaking in another language or is it just second nature? You just pick it up like that. Yeah, I think German is a, is a, it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a toughie because there's female and female words and stuff like that. Yeah. No. Afrikaans is my, my, where I am very relaxed because that's my mother tongue. Yes. I, I grew up in Northern Cape. So that's the language that I, that I heard for seven years of my life. Um, but I can express myself in English because I had a very strict, um, few English teachers that was very, uh, pedantic about how we pronounce things and, and, mm -hmm. and, and so on. And, and I can also express myself in, in Sichuana because that was the, the language that the people speak in the Northern Cape. Actually, it is now, that portion is now called the Northwest because it was mm -hmm. then Bobotatswana. Yeah. And uh, for a while, my, my president was Lucas, Lucas Mangope. Lucas <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So that's where I but Putuswana so, yeah. had a, had a very beautiful national anthem. It was a lovely song. Yes, it it I, that was. I think that was the best years of my life. Living there, just being a child, playing with my Chwana cousins. So I am very mixed. Okay, my my dad, whose family I don't know, mm -hmm. never met him as well, and I and I never will meet him because he passed on. But my mom's family is Tosa and Sichuana. so. 
I grew up with those, uh, uh, that family of mine, my cousins, my aunts and so on. So I was the only mixed child amongst them. So I was, I was a bit of an, an enigma <laughs> there on the farm playing with my cousins. But then I came to Pretoria and then I had to switch over and learn English. Because remember, Afrikaans was the first language that I learned. Now, it's, it, it's interesting because um, it was a similar sort of situation for us, but but on different bases. Obviously, my ethnicity is 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 it's diverse, but it's it's all Celtic, Scandinavian, Northern European, and that goes back centuries. Uh, whereas in your case, um, what I'm trying to get at, you've got a very interesting mix there, but it's based on ethnicity and and also language and faith. And the thing is that you've had to because you're kind of an outsider unintentionally become, I guess, kind of a chameleon in order to adapt and, and fit into groups. For me, we moved consistently when I was a child all over the country. I was always the new kid, the skinny kid, the kid that didn't fit in. And I had to learn to speak the way people spoke in different places and fit in different places. Um, it sounds like you may have had a similar experience in some respect. I mean, you uh, you have, a, you have a, a Muslim name or Arabic name. You are a Christian who went to Catholic school who who has Qasa and Swana uh, uh, background as well as... So you really, uh, you know, it, it, you, I think, are a good example of why the concept of racism is the dumbest thing ever. We're homo sapiens. We're all one race. Um, if we weren't one race, we couldn't knock boots and have babies. It just wouldn't work. <laughs> I'm also, my, my mom's father is, is Koi. So oh. I am new South African as possible. Well, that's that's a question what I wanted to ask you because you mentioned uh, you mentioned uh, where you live there, which is now Northwest Province, and what was of course Bapututswana at one point. Uh, but did you have any experience with any koi, any any or any sign groups anywhere near you? Did you not growing up at all? Because um, these groups are, are of course heavily been repressed throughout history, and they're still not getting attention. We've seen the koi. San King, and the gentleman calls himself Khoi San King, in front of the Union Building for three years. The ANC will not even talk to him about recognizing them as the First Nations. Yeah, yeah, that's a under Tamalaki. Let me put it in Afrikaans. It's a, it's another story. Well, when I grew up, my granny. Now, my granny, she's actually my mom's aunt. Remember, my mom's mom is a Kosa lady. Mm -hmm. So my mom's is she's from. Uppington. So she's the one that brought me up in Afrikaans. My, she, and the reason why that happened is my mom had to go and study nursing in KZN. So she had to leave this six-month-old baby with someone. And my mom wanted me to speak Afrikaans and not Sisutu. Remember those years, it was better for your child to be brought up Afrikaans or English instead of Chwana uh, or Zulu yeah. or so my that granny of mine she herself she is a koi lady she's mixed as well but that's the only reference but coming to pretoria i met with the Griqua people and i met with uh the koi people not necessarily the sun because the koi and the sun are two different sure uh, of course so um yeah i i did experience him at some stage i was actually asked to be part of uh a, a, a committee and, and and so on and i was but there was so much infighting and 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 power struggles and and stuff that i thought no this is not for me i i can't do that my my philosophy even today is and i'm telling people directly stop fighting about stuff like that stop fighting about titles stop fighting about who is the original leader who is the 
the descendant of what Griqua king and whatever, whatever. <laughs> focus on getting your property back. Focus on getting the land back. Focus on title deeds. Focus on legal stuff. Um, because while you are fighting about identity, somebody is taking your land. Hmm. So much for fighting. Well, not just that, not just the question of land. It's also you're not developing your community. You're not enriching. You're not developing entrepreneur skills, building businesses. You're squabbling over, you know, who is descended from Adam Koch or whatever the case may be, which is, I think is where you're going with that. No, it's, it's, I think it's a very good point. Uh, this is a fascinating conversation, but I think we probably should switch back to the UIM since that's uh, since that's kind of we, we could do this on another day, Fatima, because this is you and I. It sounds like could talk for hours about many, many different topics. I think you're seeing. But before we get off of that, I did a video uh, not all that long ago, um, and it's a really tragic. Um, as a polyglot like yourself, speaking multiple languages, uh, as a polyglot, I, I encourage people to learn other languages. Of course, I don't think it's something that should be compulsory, but I encourage it. And I really have a special affinity for languages which are threatened. And many languages around the world are threatened thousands, of them, not the least of which is Nu, which is a, a sign language, which is um, which there's only one first language speaker of it left, uh, 88, 89 year old grandmother. And I did a video about Nu. I don't know. Are you familiar with that language? Have you heard about it? They've actually did a commercial recently for Capitec or somebody like that highlighting her. She's the last uh, first language speaker. Her granddaughter's trying to save the language and they're teaching kids. But I'm sure a lot of the language will be lost. It's kind of sad. Yeah. It's called the cuckoo language, cuckoo mm. Yeah, yes. no, it's it's really it's really sad to see those those things, but hopefully um, those languages can be saved. I think that as a, as humanity, whenever a language disappears, we lose part of our patrimony, part of part of who we are, because languages are unique. And I first learned this when uh, I learned German as my second language, and I discovered that if you wanted to insult someone, you didn't use you know like English uh, profanity, which is also in German, but the F word and things like that. That's not what you, you call people animals. Like a, a you know call the worst insult in German is call someone a donkey or an ass, and uh, which in English you just call someone a jackass. It's like it's no big deal, you know. But if you say that in German, man, that's fighting words. So what I learned is is that was the, one of the first things. The other thing is that the way the language is constructed says a lot about a people and how they are. Uh, you know, English is very adaptable, as is Swahili. We accept loan words, borrow words. Afrikaans is the same way. When it when it clustered together as a language, it brought lots in from, from Malaysia and Indonesia and also from Khoi and San languages. But languages are fascinating. So I'm getting off topic there. Let me get back to UIM. So we talked about firearms. Uh, we've talked about um, what, why Neil started the organization. Now, uh, I was surprised to hear, but not shocked, that you guys managed to get candidates registered across the country. That's very impressive uh, in such a short period of time. The party's only 26 days as a registered political party, but you managed to have your act together to get into the system and get people registered. Was it a big rush? I mean, I mean you've, you've just become the vice president recently. How long ago was that? I think it's uh, uh, just uh, over a month ago. Yeah. So just about the time that you had to get all this together. Yes. Um, yes. Just to, to, by the way, just to latch on to the languages, Neil speaks German, Italian, uh, Dutch, and I think Russian as well, because he was outside for Sure, a, sure, sure. Yeah. yeah it's, I mean, that makes sense, the Russian, yeah. Yes. We were in, we worked 24-7. I mean, Brett Korea is, the, is he's our main guy, and he put pulled everything together. So our guys worked over time because we had to look we, because we are new and because we've got the odds against us we are this new party this new kid on the block so we had to prove ourselves even more 
for Brett and, and everyone else, our we, we were putting structures together for the past few months, our national, provincial, wards, etc. So all of that was, was already being done. So all that Brett did was register and get people on the list and so on. And we managed. But it was a tedious task because the IEC didn't really come to the party. <laughs> no, uh, they, the, in fact, they tried to stop the party. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, just an example, in Johannesburg, one of our guys tried to um, register himself because he found out that he's not even, he was one of the candidates that we wanted to register, but he was not even on the IEC list to register as a voter. So he struggled, went from office to office, nine o'clock until four o'clock the afternoon, there was no office was open. Um, Brett struggled to 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 make payments at the Limpopo or I don't know which province, Northwest. They didn't want to give him a, a, a slip because uh, or he, they, he couldn't pay and he couldn't get a slip. But anyway, there was a lot of admin work that was against us. So much stress, but we got it right. Through God's grace, we got it right. And now the portal is open again. Guess what we are doing? Registering more candidates. <laughs> we are holding more candidates like nobody's business. And... <laughs> I have to say that the reason why we could actually make payment was because of our people, mm. members, people donated and sponsored because this, we believe this is uh, something that we must do according to, you know, our faith. Mm -hmm. So we put our out there and people just latched on aunties. They donated their last 50 rands. People donated big sums. Um, Anyone, everyone was just on board because they wanted change. Mm -hmm. Well, what's interesting, um, what's interesting here, I, th is, I have to say this, is that I kind of dismissed UIM when it was announced, just like I've dismissed one essay as just, you know, another thing out there, particularly with the concept initially that, well, we're, we're just here to, you know, teach people about their, their civic um, entitlements and responsibilities. That's all fine. I appreciate that. But I kind of dismissed them as a political movement, both groups initially, because the discussion of supporting independent candidates, that's all fine and dandy. But if you're helping independent candidates get elected, then they don't owe anything to you. <laughs> They're just independent candidates and you don't really have a party position. So I think it's wise that the UIM decided to become a political party. That seems to make some sense. That gives you a chance to coalesce, uh, build strategy. I, I hate the terms comrade and manifesto. That's very Leninist and Marxist. I hate those terms, but that is the norm in, in the vernacular in South Africa, so I get it. But I, I, I prefer to say party platform instead of manifesto uh, and party members. But uh, I think the party platform is, is, is helpful. And I will now be paying attention to the UIM, particularly for this. But let me ask this question, Fatima. I think it's a fair question. Do you, do you think it's realistic that you all have a chance, and you don't have to give any secrets away if you think you're doing well, but do you think it's realistic you have a chance to win any council or, or and get a mayorship somewhere? Or do you does UIM, because of the short time frame here, see itself more as gaining some seats uh, to show that it can be effective and then being perhaps part of a coalition? Yeah, exactly that. Um, last night, Neil and I discussed it. We He asked me, what would be a success for me concerning the UIM during those elections? And obviously me being female, I want a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I think him if, if he, number one, if he becomes the mayor of Cape Town, that'll be an absolute success for, for, for me personally. 
And if we have at least one seat in the eight metros, that will also be a plus for us. And he said, you know what, for me, because Neil is a much more modest person than I am, I suppose. He said, even if we just want win one seat in one metro, for us, it's still a win because we are such a young party. Mm -hmm. So we we measure our success and our benchmark is not, we're not benchmarking ourselves against other parties. We are benchmarking ourselves according to our abilities and, and what we have put in so far. And also, because we are faith people, we're just putting it out there and, and trusting that our hard work, very hard work, will be matched by God's favor. Well, that's an awesome statement, uh, the way you said that. Folks, if you're not a subscriber to Chris White African, if you're new here, you're just discovering us because of our conversation tonight with the leadership of the UIM, hey, take a moment and become a subscriber. Today, absolute special price. It costs nothing to subscribe to the channel. We're not going to charge you anything. Of course, it always costs nothing to become a subscriber, but smash that button right below the video. Also, if you're looking for information about the UIM, how to join it, uh, what it's all about, different links, links to Fatima's uh, page as well as Neil's page, all of that's in the description below the video as part of the Indaba Conversation with Chris. So feel free to check that out. Now, uh, when you said Neil is modest, I have to say that you obviously know him on a personal level far better than I, I have, I, I do, I possibly ever could. But from a, a, a um, uh, external view, that seems very much uh, diametrically opposed to who we see. Neil seems very confident at times, overly confident about things, and not particularly modest. So, but that may just be a persona that people put on. You know, I mean, as a leader, I had to be out there in charge, and and while that's my nature, it's also my nature to be quiet quiet when it's the time to be quiet so 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 maybe you're sharing a personal revelation now the one thing about neil and 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 it's not fair to raise these issues so i'm not gonna, i'm just going to mention this in passing uh and maybe another time he and i can talk about it but uh, we all have histories and uh, our histories make us who we are and there are because of neil's history he has a number of skeptics uh now it seems like that doesn't seem to be holding him back at the moment but i mean there are a number of people who would who will say and and we don't have to get into this but i'm just going to mention this because i know some of my audience are curious about it but uh, he was serving in the south african military and some would say he betrayed his government and his nation others would defend that saying that well it was an unjust system and that's why he did it and that's acceptable uh then he became a member of the anc and people would say well he betrayed the anc and left the anc others would defend that and say yeah but what ANC? This is not the party that this guy joined, the liberation movement. It's something completely different that's not serving South Africa. Uh, and then others would say, well, yeah, well, Neil has done quite well under ANC rule. He's become fabulously wealthy. All of those, I think, are legitimate topics we can talk about. But it does raise some skepticism about Neil personally. But it seems as if, it seems as if, um, those issues are not something that's holding him back. And he, he mentioned that he's happy to talk about those things, but we haven't had a chance to do that. That might be on another conversation. So has there been any challenge thus far that you guys can see with people going, well, well, we can't trust Neil. He's just a turncoat or, or Neil's the best thing ever. Uh, has his history played a role in enhancing people's interest in him or detracting thus far? Um, first of all, Neil, the reason why I say Neil is such a modest person, a very humble person, I see the Neil the Beer who cries when he hears people's stories. I see the Neil the Beer who gets very passionately uh, upset when he sees li people living on the streets without housing and he just wants to help. And he has helped quite a few people mm -hmm. um, 
you know, getting them off the streets and so on. So here's what I want to say. While people are being skeptic, while people are uh, spreading negative stuff about Neil the Bear, while people are bad-mouthing him, Neil is walking his journey. Mm. Neil is doing and he's being consistent in being himself. And the reason why he is not going to... Fu- it does, it does. Uh, he's human. It, 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 uh, that Mark Pick is here, it does hurt a little bit. And then he has to ponder about it. And then he has to continue. Because what he's doing now is not for himself. I always say to him, why are you doing this? You can sit in your house and have a wonderful time and just mind your own business and, and just enjoy your life. We are in our 50s. Why do you... Why do you want to do this? And, and it's the same reason why I want to do it. This it's to make a difference in the generation that is coming and the, the young people that are living here. We can't live with ourselves seeing all the wrongs that is happening. Now backtrack to him. I read the book. Hey, it's a pity it's here at the back. The book that was written by Brad. And I wish people can read that book, which is the journey of Neil de Beer and this guy. Uh, it's about this, uh, the, something about the spies of Nelson Mandela. Mm-hmm. Neil saw the atrocities against humanity. First, he was working for the National Party as a young person. All the young guys, especially the young white guys, were b- literally forced or or mandated to go into go to the army and do service, and then they were roped into work for their government. Mm-hmm. But then he saw. But this is wrong. We are doing wrong. We are being unfair towards black people. What we are doing is inhumane. And then he switched over to the ANC, serving, wanting to make a change, working for Nelson Mandela. And 2017, as he said, he saw that, whoa, this is not the national. This is not the party that I uh, uh, gave my life to. There's a lot of unfairness happening there. And then he left. So what is consistent here? Neil the Beer remains a freedom fighter for humanity. Oh, that's well put. That's well put. So none, none of the two parties that he served, not as a political leader or politician, whatever, they didn't come to the party. So what is he doing? He's starting his own party because he still wants to serve and still be a freedom fighter for humanity. So while there's people talking, talking all sorts of nonsense mm-hmm. about him, it's fine. He has to keep focus on his mandate. And that is for the liberation and the em- emancipation and all the Asians of the South Africans. 27 years later. Yeah. Nothing is, no, none of the, the promises that all the politicians have been making for the past 27 years hasn't come to, to, to fruition. So somebody's got to do something and he stood up. I always say to him, God asked, who will, who will I send and who will go? There you go. Neil the Beard said, I will go. Well, another, let me raise this topic and see where the UIM sits on this. I suspect I know, but let's, let's, let's get it straight for the vice president. You know, um, gender-based violence is horrific in South Africa. And when I say horrific, that's understating the case. The abuse of women and girls, the gang rapes, the murders, uh, it's just off the charts. The murder of a nine-month pregnant 
um, Swana speaking woman, Sefatso Pule, who was murdered by her lover's um, hired killers last year. We, we, we see the, um, I, I'm drawing a blank right name uh, right now on the name of the young lady who went to UCT or was it, I think it was UCT. And uh, the gentleman said, come back at the end of the day, collect your parcel. And he, he bludgeoned her to death after raping her. She was quite a beautiful young lady. I think she was close, if I'm not mistaken. And then, of course, the horrific circumstances of the night of revelry and gang raping and bludgeoning to death of Hannah Cornelius a few years ago in the Western Cape. Uh, this this violence knows no gender, no, no, no ethnicity. It is directed against women. We see white men doing the same thing to white women, black men to black women, to colored women. It does not matter. There seems to be a total disregard in certain parts of society, which spreads across all ethnic groups, about the role of women in society. I find it heartbreaking and disturbing, and I've seen it worse in South Africa than most of the rest of the world. It's really disheartening. Now, the reason I mention all that, and that builds up a lot, is that the ANC is all against gender-based violence. Every time that something else is going on, they want to distract from their failures elsewhere. Suddenly, GBV is a topic. At least three times last year, when people were angry about the lockdown in South Africa, Cyril Ramaphosa suddenly cared about gender-based violence and was going to do something about it. But the ANC has done nothing about gender-based violence. You have to change culture. Is this a topic of interest to the UIM? And if so, do you have ideas or ways we can change the culture in South Africa to have more respect for our daughters and our sisters and our aunts and mothers? Yes, it's definitely a topic of the UIM, and we are vehemently against the the manner in which it is handled because this is not it's not just a when we get to the violence there's already a whole lot of things that that has transpired in the perpetrator as you said it's a it's a social it's a socioeconomic problem it's a psychological problem it's a um a, a lot of the the problems that happens especially now during this time is the fact that a lot of focus is being placed on empowering women. My daughter always asks, now what about the men? What about the young boys? So it's, it's, it's as if there's a dis disconnect in empowering, teaching, uh, uh, and uplifting the men and the boys in our community. Because if a boy knows to respect and to love and to nurture, etc., etc., his little sister, his mother, and stuff like that. Then it will, it, it won't be easy for him to to hurt another woman's uh, another child, another woman's child. Mm -hmm. So those, I mean, there's there's different ways that we can address that. The social workers, I mean, the social working industry is is also like null and void. People telling me that. They go to social workers and social workers telling them they don't know what to do. When a woman gets to a police station, she gets asked, okay, what were you wearing? Why were you wearing that? Yeah. So there's a there's a whole, it's as if we have to scrap everything that we are busy with right now and start from a fresh and a new approach into getting back to respect and those values that all religions have and also the real sense of Ubuntu and not just saying that yeah but if you know if you're a woman then you must know how you must handle yourself no the males needs to be addressed males need to address males and females need to address 
males because I think there's a gap where the males are not being taught how to handle themselves and also drug addiction, all those things. Those are the things that need to be addressed, but it all stems from the fact that the nucleus family, there's a disruption over there. There's a there's a shortage of of a lot of values and 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 things that needs to be done in the family itself. But then saying that again, the family, the normal family does not exist anymore. It's mostly single parents yeah, or grandparents looking after their grandchildren or children looking after children. So the perpetrators are out there looking for victims. And yeah, that is so. So, so yeah, the, we are looking at different programs, but it has to be done collectively with community members, professionals, etc., etc. So it's a holistic approach, not a Band-Aid, um, you know, press release like the ANC seems to take towards it. I, I would agree with you. I think that's really, you have to change the culture at the root. Otherwise, you don't. One of the things I found most disheartening, uh, one of my earlier trips to South Africa about 21 years ago, I was in KZN and visiting schools there and doing other things, traveling around. I came from Rorkstrif, went to Isan Luana and, and traveling around Dundee and places like that. And, and uh, one of the things I discovered is that it became it was quite the norm in that part of the country for prepubescent and pubescent girls uh, to sleep with their teachers for grades. Uh, it's quite cool. disgusting and vile. Uh, and for a number of reasons, never mind the fact that sleeping with 11, 10, 11, 12-year-old girls, that's just, that's just a crime to begin with. The social, psychological trauma, the physical trauma that comes along with that because they're not prepared for sexual activity. And then on top of that, 75% of these male teachers in KZN were HIV positive at the time. So they are infecting with sexually transmitted infections and likely HIV and unwanted pregnancies, all that stuff. And people turned a blind eye to it, Fatima. I just, I, I had conversations with people like, they don't want to talk about it because it's uncomfortable. Well, then it persists. It's like incest. It persists. If you don't talk about and expose it to ultraviolet radiation, then it persists. And I think that's part of the conversation in South Africa is people actually genuinely heart to heart need to talk about these issues all the time. Not when some lovely young lady is murdered by a scumbag at a post office or a nine month pregnant uh, mistress is murdered to get rid of her and her fetus. It's something that needs to be talked about all the time. Would you agree? Absolutely. Um, I, I, I read a, an article. 23,336 girls between the ages of 9 and 16 um, have fallen pregnant between last year, April, and now. Yeah, well, by their teachers. And so here's the thing that is rape. Yep. Statutory, it's rape. Yep. But, but then society wants to bring in stuff like tradition and and culture saying that you know certain things are permissible but it's also because in some households that child is li literally selling her body for an income for the community sure. or for the family so they they won't address it like you and I would address it right. so it's it's a it's a sick cycle because that child brings in a little baby now that baby makes that child qualify for the SASA fund. So mm -hmm. that, those are the things that, mm, 
That's the, perver- the perversity of trying to help people. We had a sim- we wound up with generational welfare families in America as a consequence, starting in the 1960s with the Great Society, of giving overly generous benefits to unwed mothers, which prompted an explosion of unwed mothers. In fact, in America, if you go back 50 years ago, 90% of births, or 85-90%, were legitimate. Children were the product of a marriage. <laughs> Even if it was a last-minute shotgun marriage, they were the product of a marriage. But uh, today... of black children are born illegitimately in this country. That's a shocking figure when we have 45 million black Americans. 78% of black children born illegitimately, especially for a community that's traditionally been deeply a community of faith. It's crazy. Uh, But it doesn't stop there. We see that uh, 45% of Hispanic children are born illegitimately. 25% of white children are born illegitimately in this country. And even today in a community, which has become more diverse because of the Pacific Islands and places like that, but in a community like the Asian community, which used to be less than 2% illegitimacy, they're now pushing 10% illegitimacy and in no small measure because people from Samoa and, and Guam and places like that have very different mores and values when it comes to premarital sex than, say, Japanese, Chinese, or Korean families. It's quite a disastrous development, and that's not a religious statement, although faith, as you alluded to, certainly is a solution to fix this. But the bottom line here is that that's that's atrocious. When a single mother, often young or underage, is forced to raise a child on their own or with the help of an extended family, that's not a healthy situation. You need two parents actively engaged with the child, mentoring, nurturing, and raising that child in order to have a healthy member of society. And I think that this is the root of much of our evil in South Africa and in the United States is illegitimacy and uh, single parent families. The other thing that should also be much stricter in South Africa is the justice system, because um, a lot of SAPS members now, the the real legit good SAPS members, I'm talking about the South African police, they say they're getting tired because they apprehend the assailant, the the rapist or the murderer and, and so on. And then... A few months later, after the court case, uh, a justice would find the person who dismissed the case because there was no proper evidence, the, you know, or whatever, the docket is gone and so on. So you see rapists and, and all sorts of horrible people still walking the streets. So then the, the message that some people get is, oh, okay, they got away with murder. Yeah. So be stricter and harsher you know, like life imprisonment, it shouldn't be like 25 years, life imprisonment. We, The one thing that we will never say is we want the death penalty back because the current justice system and, and, and the legal system is, is, is not, you know, of good quality because a lot of innocent people will be, will be put to death and we don't want that. But we want harsher, uh, um, harsher punishment for for people who do things like that like go and work in the mines or wherever just do hard labor because right now they are these guys are sitting in jail they're having free meals and we are paying for them we are maintaining them so the the punishment must be much much harder than it is right now but I think you alluded to something earlier. The bottom line in South Africa is, is the morale of the police is weakened, uh, morale of society is weakened because very few people are ever charged, 
Even fewer are ever brought to trial. Even fewer of those ever convicted. And even a tiny, tiny number actually uh, are incarcerated for these crimes. Cash and transit, gender-based violence, rape, murder. The list is endless. Um, I think this all has a lot to do with what has become a culture of impunity in South Africa, in which criminals can do whatever they want with impunity. I mean, we saw this recently in the assassination of Babita Deo Karan, a courageous mm-hmm. woman who was gunned down. Fortunately, her child, she dropped off at school, so the child's life wasn't lost, too. They waited to murder her outside her home. But I mean, this state witness in, in this PPE scandal, and she's been assassinated. And this is a very chilling signal to anybody who wants to do the right thing in South Africa if these people can act with impunity. Now, in this case, uh, the police made a breakthrough. People have been arrested. Apparently, a senior ANC figure is involved. That's the last we heard from the Hawks. Uh, I wish the Scorpions were still around because I'm sure they would have cracked this thing wide open by now and already be prosecuting these people. But but that culture of impunity, I think, is one of the corrosive factors in South African society. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. Uh, and, and as you said, people keep quiet. They don't want to they don't want to say a lot. They don't want to rock the boat. And because of that, we are perpetuating criminal activities in our community and in our country. Say so, and all the other thing that really bothers me is that sometimes uh, state witnesses and, and and those types of people are not really being protected the way they should be. Absolutely, no, and, and that's I think that's and this is a perfect example of, of how that didn't happen. Someone not being protected when they should have been protected. It's an abysmal failure of the state. Of course, we've seen how effective the state is in KwaZulu Natal and how Tang in July. Uh, either it either it ignoring information that's brought in by criminal intelligence or claiming it didn't happen and then no response. I mean, local communities, people of wealth flying their private planes to bring ammunition into the police who are out of ammunition. An army sent into KwaZulu-Natal without rations, without fuel, without any government resources to acquire those things. A, a total disaster. The ANC has been the greatest. I mean, listen, I think at some point, if people are objective 10 or 15 years from now, they look like, so my God, the National Party may have had racist policies, but look at look at it, just how horrific the ANC was. I mean, education levels have dropped precipitously. Life expectancy rose, but now it's declining again. So many problems here. They've racialized society in a fashion, Neil even admitted this, that's even worse than it was during apartheid. It's quite frightening. But uh, there have been several people ask this question, so let me address this one to you real quick there. Um, and this one's, what about state-owned enterprises? Uh, now, <laughs> in the interest of full disclosure, I have uh, a complete aversion to any government-owned business. I think it's inappropriate, but that's a personal view. Uh, does the UIM have a position on state-owned enterprises like ESCOM and, and uh, South African Airlines, Airways and all these other, uh, Transnet, all these different organizations? Do you have a position whether they should be privatized or the state should continue to operate them? Uh, is, is that something that the party has taken a position on? Um, the party's position, I'm going to speak under correction now, is that it currently, is it working for us? Uh, no. <laughs> so, so, so be, obviously, because it's not working for us, the the notion or the, the, the idea is that it should be state, uh, not governed, but state... Um, my English is getting done now. State, you know, give they must give the money. Yeah. Uh, not sponsors. S- subsidies. Sub- subsidized, but private companies that have a, a, a an understanding with the government as to how it should run. They're private companies, people that are experts 
or companies that are experts in that specific uh, department, like if the SAAs and the the the, the metro rails and th those type of entities, let them run it with an agreement with government. I mean, that will that will make a lot of things so much better, and there will be actually um, profits coming in because right now we are feeding the beast. We fed. We, as South Africans, fed the SAA with billions, and now it's redundant. It does not even exist anymore. Mm -hmm. So clearly that didn't help. The South African Broadcasting Corporation, same thing. Um, most of the parastatals in South Africa, actually all of them, they are not working because there's politici politicians sitting up there just feeding themselves. So give it to the people that can actually do it. Well, I, I'm, I'm all in favor of privatization. It's it's worked incredibly well in most places where it's done. There have been mistakes in some places, but that's because of corruption, not because of privatization itself. In fact, my, my position for ESCOM, instead of the idiotic way that the ANC is divided into a transmission set, a company and a production company, and so three different companies, all of which are wholly dependent on each other, uh, I think was foolish. What I would have done is geographically broken it up in ways that the offspring could become profitable and have a large enough consumer base to, to make them profitable. And that's what I would do and, and, and to privatize and sell off. Uh, there's nothing wrong with keeping a stake, in my view, for the public. In other words, you create a national sovereign wealth fund and say 25% of each of the six entities you spin off from ESCOM, that stock and equity goes into a national fund. And then the money yeah. that's generated off of that could be returned to South Africans. And you could even make it a means-tested thing saying that, look, if you're fortunate enough to be a South African makes a million rand a year, then you wouldn't get anything from it. But if you make 500,000, you get you know this a little bit. If you're desperately poor, you would get a larger portion of it. And then you build a, a shareholder society rather than a welfare society so that people in South Africa say, oh, look, if the electric company is successful, I get money back because, I mean, I get a check from this this fund. That's how you do it. And we've we, we flipped the script around the world. I mean, even here in the U.S., we've got, we're handing money out to people not to work. You know, we our, our fast food restaurants, I'm, you know, McDonald's, of course, but I don't know if you're familiar with ours. We have one called Wendy's here in the States. The local Wendy's here in the town where I live was closed for six months. You could go through the drive-thru and produce carbon and pollute the environment, sit in line for 20 minutes, but you couldn't go in the restaurant. Not because of lockdown, not because of the Rona, but because they couldn't find anybody to work there. The government extended unemployment benefits for so long and then threw a, a bonus on top of that, which meant that many people were making more money sitting at home. Of course, they weren't making any real money. That was just debt that my government poured on, which I have to pay back so that people can sit on their duff at home and I can't go to the restaurant because they can't get people to work. Our restaurant only opened in June because all the high school students finished the academic year and they don't have jobs, so they can't get unemployment. So they have to go get a job and they're eager to work and make money. So suddenly everybody was 16 years old working at Wendy's and I could go to Wendy's once again. That is a perverse situation. And South Africa, unfortunately, seems to be headed that way with this basic income grant. That's just crazy. I mean, I appreciate poverty. I mean, I, I grew up without electricity. I used an outhouse or outdoor privy, as you guys call it. And I had to fetch water from a cistern so that we could bathe and cook with, milk cows, collect eggs every day on my own. So I, I've lived in poverty and I've, I've never been wealthy, but I've been, you know, upper middle income and then, you know, all that whole spectrum. So I can appreciate when people don't have, but giving isn't the answer. Not that way. Help, you know, teach a man to fish, right? Don't just hand him a fish. Yep. 
We actually have, but I'm not going to divulge too much, but we have a policy on this whole Sasa grant as well. Mm. We're not going to uh, take it away, but it, it, will, it will be implemented completely differently, uh, bringing back the, the dignity and the gift of work. Yes, there you go. The dignity of work and gift of work. I agree 100%. Uh, listen, um, we could go on for hours, it sounds like, especially we get back talking about culture and, and acting and language and all that. But Fatima, I have to say uh, my, my many thanks. Que uh, à la bois. Merci, uh Bye, bye, donkey, uh, for coming on and getting Neil to come on the program. Um, that had become not really a running joke, but kind of a sore point on Chris White Africa because of the miscommunication with the other people who've been working around Neil. Um, and I even got cheeky one day on one of his live streams and people started jumping all over me. And I said, no, no, I'm just saying, hey, the guy promised to come to my program. He never did. So we finally had Neil on tonight. And, and clearly... Um, it wasn't convenient for him. He was en route to his speaking destination in Pchberna or Port Elizabeth. So I appreciate that. Uh, I'd like to get him back on. He agreed to come back on for a longer conversation, maybe when he's sitting at home or in the studio or something like that. You're also welcome back anytime. And honestly, I, I, would, I don't want to say expect, but I would hope to have you guys on a couple more times before the municipal election so we can talk more about them and what your party's doing and what kind of success you have. I mean, I'd also like to hear about his um, this this whirlwind tour he's going on that he's on right now. So you're welcome back on the channel anytime. It's been a distinct pleasure. But before I let you go, I'd like to um, give you an opportunity to share anything you like. If you like to talk about the UIM or uh, I don't know about the Northern Cape or about whatever you like, just some final thoughts. We really appreciate you being on the program. Okay, thank you. Thank you very much, um, Chris. It, you should have just contacted me and asked me, you know. I mean, we did this in how many? <laughs> well, how I, many I, 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 okay, to be fair, I didn't know until just recently that you had anything to do with the UIM. Actually, yeah. I was kind of aware that you were with the African Christian Democratic Party, but I mean, I have never talked to any, they're a very small party these days. I've never talked to them. I've had the Freedom Front Plus on, I've had uh, the UDM on. And I've uh, had some members of the DA on, although I can't get John Steenhuisen. Uh, his his lackeys won't let him come on my program, so they're not interested in talking to me. But uh, I will not have the EFF on. I'll have people from the ANC if they're willing to come on. But the things I say about the ANC, because I'm honest, I don't think they're willing to come on. But anyway, so yeah, I didn't realize you're with the UIM, but you're right. I should have just reached out to you. Look how quickly this happened. Folks, this happened since yesterday, by the way. That's how quickly Fatima made this happen. So what I'd like to, to leave with everyone is um, that we will never change. Neil and myself, we are each other's accountability partners. And we said to each other, we must see to it that we never change. We stay as grounded and as humble as we are, as hardworking and committed as we are. And I can actually vouch for the rest of the team. And we are a lot of people. We're just plain and simple people from the communities and all we want to do is get out there and make a difference within our communities. Because for many years, we trusted someone else to do it, and they didn't. So now it's up to us. Everyone in South Africa, it is up to you to change the, the destiny of your children's future. So, because we are old already. Well, 52 is not so old. But, I mean, we've, we've lived our lives. I want to be... One day, my daughter and my grandchildren must be able to say, Oma, it's it's gedoen, rondom South Africa. Granny did something about the change in South Africa. And it lies in everyone to do that. It's not just us. Together we will. 
Ah, and there is the party slogan, Together We Will. I, I didn't get a chance to bring that up. You just brought up it. Well-timed, Fatima. I have to say that was great. Wonderful wrap-up there. It's, uh, I think, uh, something maybe people want to pay a little closer attention to, and that's the UIM. We'll certainly give you an opportunity to give people a chance to become more familiar with the party as we progress towards the municipal elections. Um, I don't know if if it's just a lot of Binnenlanders fans that are in the audience, but but lots of love and, and lots of uh, great compliments about the things you've had to say as we've gone through this. People really seem to have enjoyed the conversation. Uh, I think one or two people popped in and says, where's Neil? Where's Neil? Well, you're late. You miss Neil. Um, it, it was labeled as Neil and Fatima, and then most of the conversation has been with you. It has been a pleasure. Um, I'm going to have to go back and look up some old Binnenlanders episodes now and just uh, just to watch them and see. Now, and it's just a full disclosure, uh, I was I was a big fan of Sieb Nilan. I used to watch that all the time. And also, uh, I, I enjoyed Igoli. Um, it's, for me, it was fascinating to switch between languages like that all the time. It really helped me improve my Alphacons. But a uh, couple super chats here. Patrick Vukafenin gave a chomp, chomp. Yup, yeah, thanks. Uh, he really enjoyed it. And then I just got another one came in from Leo Vignansa from Lensburg. She's a lovely lady. She says, thank you, Chris. Awesome interview, as per usual. Do love Fatima's outlook in life. Well, I'd have to agree. I, I, I love your outlook in life, too. And a true patriot, who obviously is a, a fan and supporter of, of the party, says UIM win. Well, there you go. But I'm looking forward to it uh, to see what happens now. This uh, I'm very excited. I was very concerned, Fatima, that uh, South Africa's democracy was on the verge of um, just disregard for the rule of law. Had the constitutional court not done what it was supposed to do, and that say the Constitution says you have to have the election, I was very concerned if this thing had been delayed. But it looks like we're going forward with it, and um, the UIM has successfully got candidates registered around the country. That's very exciting, and you're continuing doing it now, now that the window's opening back up. So congratulations on that. And we look forward to having you back on the program. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank right. you. Uh, I'll, okay. let, I'll, let, uh, I'll let her drop, put her in the, um, in the uh, waiting room there, and then I'll go ahead and wrap up the program here, folks. Anyway, folks, that's Neil DeBeer and Fatima Abdul from the UIM, the United Independent Movement, a new political party, just 26 or days or so old. Actually, successfully, unlike the ANC, managed to get their ward councilor candidates registered for this upcoming election. So that in itself is pretty impressive and better than the ANC, to say the least. So, well, congratulations to the UIM. Uh, for those who were hoping that we would spend a lot of time talking to Neil, that wasn't in the cards today. Um, rather than back out of the interview, uh, although he was short on time, he agreed to do it. And as you can see, he was in a combi riding to an event in Port Elizabeth. And he was on with us uh, even as it got dark. So thanks a lot for tuning in, folks. Thanks for the super chats. Those were able to super chats. Very kind of you. Also, thank you for the likes. I think we hit uh, about 127 likes. I had 160 or so watching the program which is awesome, strength to strength. We had Mark Oppenheimer yesterday, and today we've improved that and gone even higher. So who do we get tomorrow, Juju? <laughs> Odds of Juju coming on this program are slim and none, and Slim just left the building. Anyway, folks, uh, Carmel Barbier says, together we will. Sounds like another UIM supporter. Make sure you become a subscriber to the channel there, Carmel. And Catherine, unfortunately, it's difficult to unhear what DeBeer said about whites recently. I did not hear that, Catherine. I looked for it. Um, Please send me a note privately so that we can discuss that, if you don't mind. Um, and Patrick says she was a great interview. I agree. Um, she stands on her own. Didn't know that she was an actress. And I, I, know, I, I, I do, honestly, it's like she looks vaguely familiar. Um, and that must have been where it was from. It wasn't a big Binnenlanders uh, watcher. I saw it occasionally, a few episodes of it. But yeah, look up Pet Zoo Film Crew YouTube channel. Great upload of Neil speaking some sense. So the Pet Zoo Film Crew is a supporter. I didn't know that. We haven't seen the Pet Zoo film crew in some time now. I used to be a regular viewer on this channel. 
Okay. Anyway, so um, now I did see something, Catherine, where he said he hate right wing whites. Uh, I think that if, if that's what you're talking about. Um, anyway, so thank you all for the super chats and thank you for the likes. 136 people currently watching. If we can't push 131 likes up to 150, come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. This was a pretty good conversation, whether you agree or disagree. Uh, we'll see what happens with the UIM. This was interesting to have them on. And uh, I do hope that you found it a fascinating conversation, the Indaba conversation with Chris today, talking to UIM leaders Neil DeBeer and Fatima Abdul. Interesting, interesting group of folks there. Uh, thank you, Chris, for inviting you. I am my cousin. He's been raving about them. I was a bit skeptical to Neil's background, but Fatima is quite convincing. Elaine, um, Yes. Um, now, I didn't delve into, I just mentioned briefly the detracting things about Neil, and I think that's fair game for a future conversation. But I, I, I don't sandbag my guests, and I told them ahead of time I wouldn't sandbag them. I think I treated my guests fairly, well, especially Fatima. It was, it was a bit of a love fest. We had a good conversation, but I think I treated Neil very fairly here. Anyway, so um, yeah, if you've forgotten, hit the like button. We are 14 away from getting to that magical 150. So if you guys can make it happen, I'd really appreciate that. Anyway, so... Um, there, you can see, even on short notice, we get interesting guests here on Chris White Africa. Um, so we'll see who we can get on coming up here shortly. I do need to reach back to the UDM's uh, now president, vice president, uh, whose information was given to me by General Bantu Holomisa, but I hadn't had a chance to get in touch with them. Also, a very fascinating American who is a South Africa Springbok rugby fan. <laughs> he's got a small channel, but uh, he's done quite well with his video viewing on there, doing better than I am at the moment. So I'm going to have him on sometime soon to talk about the Springboks and uh, how he became a rugby fan and one for South Africa. So lots happening. Drew Patriot says, like and subscribe. Well, thank you, Drew Patriot. I appreciate that. And I'm glad we get a chance to get Neil and uh, Fatima on here to share their views. Um, let's see what else. Um, hey, Wendy Stewart. Good to see you again. Billy B must be more difficult to get divorced. Huh? What you talking about, Billy B? I've missed something there entirely. Anyway, that's it, folks. 139 currently. Uh, on the likes, uh, Mary says, I'm so angry with the IEC. Uh, Mary, why are you angry with the IEC? Uh, they have been put back in their place. They tried to stop this election, but it failed. Anyway, folks, thank you so much for subscribing or subscribing for watching today's program. And for those of you who became subscribers, really appreciate it. Spread the word. Let people know about this channel because we get shadow banned by the PooTube and it's unjust. Uh, there's nothing uh, controversial, nothing violating any community standards, nothing that anything wrong on this channel. Simply a discussion and discourse about events of the day and the future that affect South Africa, Southern Africa, Africa, and the countries that influence Africa, like the United States, the European Union, which is not a country, but in a community, and China. So there you have it, folks. Thank you very much and appreciate it. Everybody have a lovely day. Uh, I may do a night owls here in a couple of hours. And if so, we'll see you guys back on night owls. So thanks a lot. Really do appreciate the support for the channel. And uh, Henny Pretorius has just subscribed. Buy a donkey, Henny. I'm assuming you speak Afrikaans based on the given name there and the surname. But thank you very much. Buy a buy a donkey. Anyway. Pretty soon we'll have Giselle back on the program along with some other musical artists. Some Afrikaans performers will be on the program as well coming up very soon. I will not discuss who they are until I get them locked in. But Giselle will be back on the program. We're looking at an album release for her sometime soon. Also, we'll get you an update on the Ösch die Dritten tour, which is now going to take place in 2022 instead of October, November of this year. But we'll get you up to date on that when we get Giselle back on the program. 
Anyway, and in case you're curious, I'm helping sponsor that tour and making it happen. I brought the folks together, their manager, the group. And if, if you missed it, I've interviewed the, uh, the, 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 the daughter and the two sons from that group. It was a fantastic interview. It's on the channel. Look up Ush Dietlitten, and you'll be able to find that if you want to check it out. So anyway, folks, uh, you'll find all kinds of stuff right here in Chris White Africa. And those who are longtime listeners and viewers know that already. For the rest of you, though, you'll discover all kinds of fascinating things here. I already have about five or 600 videos on this channel. It's just four months old. I had 1,300 on the previous channel, and most of those 1,300 were done in about a nine-month period. So anyway, folks, I'll catch you all later. God bless, and have a lovely evening, and look for you at Night Owls. Cheers. Uh, Night Owls Marie Devanaga is always at 2135 South Africa time, 935 p.m. That's 1535 Eastern Standard Time. There'll be a banner going up shortly if you're subscribed or if you are a member of the Chris White Africa announcements group on Telegram, then you'll be able to find it there. Hillary, Neil's already gone. We'll have to save that question for a future stream about the New World Order. Um, so please hang on to that thought and we'll do it on a future stream. 149 likes, 83 people still sitting in the audience. Somebody's got to smash that like button and put us at 150. Come on, make it happen, folks. Make it rain.